Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To, the podcast that looks back at a year in film and sees what films endured, what films didn't, and attempts to figure out why. Please give it up for your masters of ceremony, Max Salim and Nick Mestad. All right. Okay. Yeah. We are live. All my little windows. We are live, kind of. I feel like my voice is raspy, and it maybe I don't know if it's because I've. You did just wake up. I mean, like two hours ago. I also. Oh, what have you been doing this whole time? Just screaming. I don't. Preparing. Um, no, I think I think it may be because watching I, every movie from 1994. <laughs> there is such a thing as cramming. Uh, I found a thing called uh, that's essentially cliff notes for for films. It just plays them at uh, only the highlights of the movie at 1.5 speed. Yeah, I haven't really either. I, I mean, particularly this year, I feel like uh, going through the list, it was, we have a lot to talk about here. Um, let's just get right into it. I'm excited. Oh, yeah. I'm excited. <clears throat> Hello, and welcome to the Oscar Went To. Today, we are talking about the year in film that was 1994. As always, what are we trying to do here? We're attempting to look back to a past year in film and retroactively crown a best picture for that given year. But we're not looking for the best movie necessarily or the most important film. What we're attempting to find is a film that has endured over time and squarely placed itself into the zeitgeist of a given year. Along the way, we hope to rediscover some old movies, discover hidden gems, all the while trying to glean something about time passing, culture evolving, or whatever. Uh, I am your host, Nick. And I'm Max. And Max, I'm very excited to talk about 1994 with you. Welcome to the 90s. This is the furthest we've ventured from current day on and this And it's good to be back. I think there's, I, I'm doing everything in my power to hold back from just launching in the conversation here because there are some really fun, there's some really fun stuff about this year. Well, we don't, you don't need, we don't need small talk, dude. I'm not your date. Well, I mean, I, you know, I, 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 I guess I bought this dinner for nothing. Then. Actually, I do want a small oh, talk. Interesting. How are you doing? No. This is, this is my small talk I want to do with you. And that is, we both grew up in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I feel comfortable yep. saying that. I agree. And it was easier to do this podcast in the two thousands because around 2005, 2006, 2007, that's really when I think we both entered our like bona fide, see a shit ton of movies phase in mm-hmm. our life. And just being more aware of culture at that time. I feel like I'm generally aware of most mainstream movies that come mm-hmm. out. Yeah, I would agree. Opposed to, you know, 94, this is all films we've mostly, I would say, seen after they came out, not in theaters, which is what my first question is to you. Do you remember any films from 1994 distinctively? seen them in this is wild because i remember so many of these movies in theaters i was literally when i said just now like i was doing everything to hold back from launching into this one of the things i was going to say about this year is that almost all of these movies i was like i saw in theaters i can and we've okay so we've related about we have we both i think have particularly good memories about like theatrical experiences we have like a fairly good memory of like what movies we saw in theaters uh maybe even who we went with the season the shared hallucination. Yes, it's a it's a very impactful thing for for I think both of us. And th- okay, this warrants a conversation about like kind of like maybe what, like how our parents brought us to movies because I saw so many of these movies. Yeah, so we were seven this year. 
before. Yeah, so you saw Pulp Fiction? I did not see Pulp Fiction. Okay. But barring, barring like the hard R's, barring the R-rated movies, I saw so many of these movies in theaters. So let me, let me, let me spin it around to you. Do you have any memories of seeing any of these movies in theaters this year? I do, but they're, you know, they're primarily kids' movies. I remember seeing Lion King. I remember seeing Little Big League, Mm -hmm. Angels in the Outfield. I remember seeing Forrest Gump. Um, oh, okay. But a lot of these, a lot of the meteor things, meteor things I want to mm-hmm. talk about, I've seen after the fact. Okay. So let me just get, let's just get the, the kind of uh, the, the, the mise en place of 1994 in place here. So the uh, winner of the, the Palme d'Or at Cannes was Pulp Fiction. The winner of the Golden Bear at the Berlin Film Festival was In the Name of the Father. And the winner of the Golden Lion at Venice at the Venice Film Festival were two movies. It was Before the Rain and Viva L'Amour. Let's see. The top 10 highest grossing movies of this year, counting down, were Clear and Present Danger, Interview with a Vampire, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Dumb and Dumber, The Flintstones, Speed, The Mask, True Lies, Forrest Gump, and The Lion King. That's worldwide gross. I believe Forrest Gump was uh, outgrossed Lion King domestically. But internationally, worldwide, those are the top 10 highest grossing films at the box office that year. Uh, And the Best Picture nominees are Forrest Gump, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Pulp Fiction, Quiz Show, and The Shawshank Redemption. So a lot to talk about here. A lot to talk about. So first of all, like just talking about 1994, 1994 is regarded kind of similarly to 1999 in terms of a year that yielded a disproportionate amount of classic movies that have endured. Just looking at the best picture nominees, that's kind of the, the the litmus test of it is we have pretty inarguably three classic movies when Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption. Kind of wild. What are your thoughts on this, Max? Yeah, I think this was a really strong year for film. And, and the deeper I got into 94, the more impressed I was with, with the, with the, with the year in film thinking like, Oh, holy shit. This movie came out this mm-hmm. year. Did you see uh, everything that was nominated for Best Picture? Have you seen everything? I've seen everything but Quiz Show. How about you? Okay. I've seen everything. I rewatched Quiz Show for this. I okay. don't have any segment it's going to come up in, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a strong movie. Robert Redford is right. a good, pretty good filmmaker, I think you can say. I will go out on a slight limb here and say just kind of kind of with his, I feel his Oscar legacy or maybe his his biggest Oscar moment being in Ordinary People and him winning Best Director famously over Scorsese in 1984. He beat Scorsese with Raging Bull with Ordinary People as with Best Picture. I I I can't help and similarly here and again I haven't seen Quiz Show but like it does feel because it is like maybe the movie of at least the best picture nominees that is least talked about and least remembered I can't help but but I have nothing but respect for Robert Redford but at the same time it's like I feel like he he's loved by the 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 academy and I I think kind of to almost to a fault where they they okay you're you're insinuating he's overly respected I think he, thank you. That's very well put. I think he, he, yes, given his track record, he's overly respected by the, by the Academy or at least was for a good 20 years. Okay. As finally, a, here we go. A little criticism coming at you. I, 
It's probably because yeah. he's he's too old that you assume he's not going to cast you in anything. That that certainly plays a role. Although the man so, founded Sundance, so, so it's this, game on. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but 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 it's, so but I think that's to the point. I mean, like he he's such an institution within Hollywood. He founded Sundance. He was a, a beloved classic actor from the '60s and '70s who turned into kind of somewhat of a prestigious, legit filmmaker and certainly to your point of, of, of great talent for sure. But I think because of that cocktail, it like kind of makes it like he, he has a, a much easier time walking into the, into the, the Oscars when he makes a movie. I agree with you in the sense that in such a strong year of movies, quiz show probably should not be in the top five. Right. It's an absolutely stacked year. And so I think quiz show kind of stands out all the more because of that. Let's segue into our category called why was this considered good? Yes. Usually we pick on a something like one of the best picture nominees that doesn't really belong. Mm-hmm. So is this your, this, your nominee uh, for this, this category? Is, this is for sure mine. And I haven't seen it, so <laughs> so F me. But like I I, I mean, I, I, I do. It, I know what it is. And and and. It, it hasn't lasted the conversation. I am very curious because you have seen all these movies and I feel like I know what you're about to say uh, for yours. And so I will, before I, could, before I go to my second point, I want to ask you what, what is yours doesn't belong here. I would say by the, um, the metrics of the show that, we, that, that we've created, Quiz Show is the best picture nominee that has aged the least well. I... However, mm-hmm. I'm going to take I'm going to take another film that I would guess was on most people's top 10 of this year and is definitely a film that is very well loved by my calculations and something that just had never really resonated with me. I watched it again in preparation for this episode and I hate to say it, the cinephiles listening to the show are going to think this is complete blasphemy. Oh wow. But have you ever seen Chung King Express? So I, I, I have not, I have not, but I, that was on my, but it is like one of the notable movies from this year for sure that I have jotted down. Yeah. I like Wong Kar Wai. I, I, so I really like some of his films. I really like Fallen Angels and I really like another film he released this year that uh, you never hear about called Ashes of Time. And somehow this has become the darling of the year and I rewatched it and it's not a terrible movie but it's like it's sort of a slog it doesn't highlight the things he does well i don't find the cinematography to be especially intoxicating i don't i don't find the story to be very compelling you know my eyes were getting kind of heavy towards the end of it and uh yeah so acknowledging that i'm at danger of of getting ripped here i would love for somebody who loves this film to give uh, give us a, a a compelling reason why this is the movie. You go look at top ten lists from 1994. This is on almost every single one. That's a hot take. I didn't know what movie you were gonna say. As the more you the more you qualified it before you before you revealed it, I was kind of getting a little scared there. But um, yeah, I know Chunking is like absolutely beloved in the in the cinephile community. So if we you know. I feel like we might that might warrant some emails from some some listeners. All right, looking forward. Okay, let's do uh, let's do hidden gems from this year, and this can be any movies that just like are under the radar uh, from this from this year. I feel like I know yours, and I don't know if it's productive for me to even say that. 
<laughs> well, you can just do this whole podcast by yourself, can't you, Nick? I was dead. You proved me dead wrong. And then Max the would say in the last category. Um, cool. So, Max, what do you have for for uh, a hidden gem from this year? All right. Well, now I want to know what you think mine is. I think yours is red. Okay. Yeah. Mine is red. Yes. I just because I know from I mean when we were like first friends in college, you were like this trilogy you like recommended to me, and I saw this movie based on your like recommendation. So it was. Have you seen the whole trilogy? I've not, and I, and I I've only seen Red, and I watched it truly like so late at night in college that I might as well have not seen it. Like I remember, yeah, I remember like so so little about it. All right, so what we're referring to here is Krzysztof Kieslowski's Three Colors. Um, the first one came out in 1993, and it was blue, and then white and red both came out in 1994. If we were naming what the best film of this year, this would not be in Hidden Gems for me. This would be damn near the top of my list of the best picture nominees okay. that we're going to go wow. through later. I do think that it's a little bit obscure, especially for an American audience. And for that reason, I'm putting it into the hidden gem category. But the, the three colors, they're, they're, a tr they're all in French. And it's a trilogy that's connected by like characters and themes and sort of a style too, I guess. Each color represents a color on the French flag after the French Revolution. So blue is about liberty, white is about equality, and red is about fraternity. But it's not like they're not these like explicit stories about these themes. And they're much more like emotional spins on them as a concept. And then each film is heavily saturated in the color of its respective name, but not in a cheesy way. Yeah, if you, these are a slow burn. They are more fulfilling when you get yourself through the entire trilogy. They all have super talented, super beautiful French actresses and in leading roles. And yeah, they're super stylish. They're thought provoking. And if you've never heard of these and, and you can, you know, get through some of those slow, slow burns that we talk about, I highly, highly recommend these. So cool. red is my, my hidden gem. I dig it. I dig it. Wow. Okay. I do have to check those out. I, it is something that like I haven't thought about in a long time. And then looking at just kind of doing research for this episode came across and was like, oh yeah, like the, uh, yeah, I, you've spoken very highly of them in the past and it's been on my list and I've kind of forgotten about it. So that's a ringing endorsement. I'm going to check those out. Okay. What's your, um, what's your, I have the documentary crumb, which is, uh, Terry's wig offs documentary about the underground comics, it is uh, a very strange and weird. He, the, the subject matter is Crumb and basically his his, his brothers, and it just kind of goes into his process and follows him around. And uh, it's he is extremely and his family is is pretty bizarre. There might be like some mental illness, not might. It, there is mental illness at play, um, but it's just like R. Crumb talking about kind of his inspiration and and his like seminal works of like keep on trucking and. Yeah, but just like basically like his role in underground comics and and it's 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 really impactful. It's extremely dark. Uh, one of his brothers committed suicide before the release of the film, and within the film itself, watching it, it that's not hugely surprising. It's it it's a it is heavy, but it is really great and lasting. Robert e, uh, Roger Ebert uh, 
particularly had high, super high praise for the movie. And Terry Zwigoff went on to do Ghost World. Uh, he's kind of a singular filmmaker. Uh, and it just like has like an immense appreciation for underground comics, the art of comics, and and kind of Arkham's place in it, as well as kind of exploring art and and kind of what makes an artist and especially in this case like a family of artists it's like really singular and 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 uh really worth checking out just know that it is cool it is heavy. and as a comic yourself i assume you saw this before not in preparation for this episode correct yeah i saw this yeah a while a while ago um it's always stuck with me it's like a very impactful documentary I, uh, okay, well, let's move on and uh, let's do best bad movie, bad in quotation marks. What do you got for, for this year? Okay, there, there are <clears throat> a lot of good candidates for this year. <laughs> the movie I want to talk about for best bad movie is mm-hmm. Legends of the Fall. Oh, damn, dog. Have you seen Legends of the Fall? Never seen Legends of the Fall. Okay, I was hoping we could riff on this a little bit. We're. Um, Cause this came out like it's, this was like an award season release, like huge release. Yeah. This was Oscar bait. Yeah. It seems like. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the fish did the, not yeah. bite. <laughs> <laughs> no, they did not. Yeah. It's, it, it is. And I, so I just watched it because mm-hmm. I, I'd seen it when I was younger and I just rewatched it for this episode thinking that somehow I could maybe place it into my top five because I remember okay. enjoying it. Okay. But that would be impossible to do because the movie is bad. It's Damn. starring a very young Brad Pitt. Of course. Um, Aiden Quinn, who I love, who's right. like a guy yeah. who I just never really, you know, I feel like he's always great and he just never really you totally. know, made it to the B or A list totally. level. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but it is, yeah, it is extremely melodramatic. The score is super melodramatic. The themes are, they don't play well now. The the only female character in the whole movie, her role is to be like lusted over and fought over by these three brothers. Brad Pitt's character, Tristan, is supposed mm-hmm. to be some sort of personification of, of wilderness, of a wild soul, but he's yeah. actually just like a huge asshole. <laughs> and uh, and uh, a- Anthony Hopkins' interpretation of a stroke victim is um, pretty horrible. Okay. And but I still love it. I don't know, man. I got through the whole thing, okay. and I was like, "Fuck, I love that movie." But it is like objectively crappy. And oh, the last sure. scene of the movie. Let me. <laughs> big spoiler here. Yeah, it's full of a voiceover. In the end, it's a freeze frame of Brad Pitt being mauled by a bear and the voiceover is but he died a good death <laughs> jesus christ it's like that doesn't look like a good death at all wow a freeze frame of a bear mauling is enough even without a voiceover to really make it kind of <laughs> like i can't envision I, that in it any just, way that isn't like crude it it just needed the Seinfeld theme playing at that point <laughs> to really take it over the edge. Ah, that's fantastic. Legends of the Fall. You know, this was a huge <laughs> year because this, the, like looking at it here, just surmising on the details, it looks like 94 is the year that Brad Pitt is like kind of the hottest, one of the hottest things in Hollywood because Interview with a Vampire which cracked the top 10 highest grossing is also this year. 
So like with Legends of the Fall being Oscar bait and Interview with a Vampire being with a huge Hollywood production with Tom Cruise. I mean, it, it's clear that Brad Pitt's like the hot thing now. Yes. And for living in the wilderness and, you know, living on a ship for what seems like months in this film, his hair is always perfectly conditioned. I mean, because uh, my main familiarity with Legends of the Fall is the poster of it or the, you know, VHS cover of it, which is just Brad Pitt's face like over the horizon with that hair. And it's like, it's truly like, it is like a, a Pantene Pro V print ad. Oh yeah. His shirt is always half buttoned and there's Love always it. golden magic hour light, like sneaking Hell in through yeah. a tree Hell to, yeah. uh, to backlight him. So anyways. I'm- I mean, I do love like kind of this buildup of how bad this movie was and then kind of remembering the the category that we're in <laughs> by, by you saying like, but I love it is like, I really, I was like, oh, damn, dog. Yeah. All right. I know. Like, I'm, I'm going to, I'll, I'll give it a whirl. I'll, I'll You're just going to call it as it is sometimes, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There's no, sh- there's, I mean, I mean this seriously. There is no shame in that. Like, fuck it. Like if it's good, if you think it's good, it's good. Um, Tell me your best uh, bad movie. Okay. So, so. My best bad movie is Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Now, I will say, this is, and this is a nice little pocket to talk about what this film year represents for Jim Carrey, which is one of the biggest years, I think, one of the biggest, like, star-making years for any movie actor, maybe ever. Um, Couldn't be bigger. Could not be bigger. He has, uh, he has a movie. Sorry, Ace Ventura comes out in February, early February. The Mask comes out late July. Dumb and Dumber comes out in December. All three of these movies are huge hits. The Mask and Dumb and Dumber are both in the top ten highest grossing movies. And I know Ace Ventura blew like was number one at the box office and was like this huge runaway success. I will say, having rewatched Ace Ventura recently, there are major issues with the transphobia in it and it is like extremely dated in it's it's hard it's difficult like the especially the ending and like where it's like the main the whole like the crux of the story is that like the person they're looking for is trans and like and he's like disgusted that he like made out with this or had this like made out with this (laughs) or even kissed this this person so it's it it's it's pretty horrible that way. And anyone who says, and e- even putting that aside, anyone who's like, it's funny to talk with people like our age because it's like, I just, for a long time, I was like, Jim Carrey in my household was beloved. Like we like as a family, like would rent Dumb and Dumber. I own, I, here, let me, the view, listeners at home can't see this, but Max, I'm going to show you this. These are all like from my my uh, collection <laughs> at home, and they're like one of the like three VHSs that I have saved, and it is these three movies. This was like that huge VHSs you brought from Minnesota to Chicago, and then to New York. You've moved those correct at least twice. Correct. They are they are a part of my identity. These movies. I I just like I love Jim Carrey. My family loved Jim Carrey, and I remember seeing all three of these movies in theaters. But with Ace Ventura, it is certainly like the 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 most dated of these three movies, which is why I'm putting it in the bad category. Uh, but it is a movie because of the nostalgic connection I have to it, because of how absolutely ridiculous it is. I mean, it is Jim Carrey. I mean, like it's truly, it's insane to watch this movie, the first one especially. And like, so I guess to my point is, is because Jim Carrey was so huge and relatively ubiquitous, like just kind of at, you know, the, when this came out, I felt like all kids were quoting all righty then and smoking and all this. 
I just thought Jim Carrey was like beloved. And it wasn't until like middle school and beyond that I encountered people our age who like just straight up didn't like Jim Carrey. I feel like by and large, he was beloved, but there certainly, he was a line in the sand. Like you either loved him or you hated him. I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's, it, I, I, I don't want to belabor too much longer, but it's hard to overstate the impact of him because like, it's like being seven when that all came out, it was just like, I mean, I feel like this is one of the first years that we're like true, we're becoming sponges for culture and the world. It, it was just like he was, he was everywhere. What was your perspective on him or experience with him this year? Did you, were you familiar? I remember, yeah, I saw all, all, all of these okay. movies. We were the same age when. No, I know, I know, but out. I was just, I, I, I remember, I, um, I remember that Ace Ventura was like a little bit over my head. I might be embarrassed saying that because I haven't seen it in years. Maybe it's really <laughs> dumb and not hard to understand. This is I a, remember this being is a, really a bit a creeped out by the mask. Yep. Sure. And I remember thinking Dumb and Dumber was hilarious. Yeah. That's really a really nice categorization of all three of those movies. And I think it's like easy to lose sight of that phrase Ventura because I do agree. I remember, so I saw this movie in theaters with my mom and I remember her covering my eyes during the, the sex scene with all the, to the lion sleeps tonight and uh, all the, all the pets watching, but like watching that movie now, it's like, you covered my eyes at that part. Like he's like, <laughs> I'll get really nerdy and say that my birthday, the mask came out like the on VHS the week like two days before my birthday in '95, um, and I and and I like I I made it a point that I needed to get that for my birthday and was pleased that I got it. We can cut that out of the episode. That's a little embarrassing to be that specific. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We're at top five, yeah. Oh, what about Blind Spot? I always get this confused with Hidden Gem. There's no, there's nothing to be confused about. It's like a movie. This is what Blind Spot is. You you <laughs> look at like the movie, the list of the best movies of of '94. Yeah. Or the most popular movies in '94, and you think like, weird. I've never seen that movie. That's what Blind Spot is. And then so okay. you have to watch it for this episode. You don't have to, but that's just like a movie. Sure. Right? Got you. Got you. All right. So was there anything you watched that you were like, oh, yeah, I can't believe I haven't seen this. I guess uh, three weddings and a funeral, four weddings and a funeral. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll officially say that. My answer is speed, but I held off on that because I don't know when we're doing the deep dive for it. And I felt like I wanted to be fresh for it. But okay, speed's a speed's a great answer. I know, but I haven't watched it yet. So, okay, I'll just pretend like I have. No, but that counts. Yeah, no, no, you don't need. Okay, all right. I don't think you need to have watched it. You just have to be like, huh. How have I never seen that? <clears throat> my my blind spot, which I just watched last night, mm-hmm. was Interview with a Vampire. Have you seen this? Oh, I've seen the first half of it very recently, actually. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And you turned it off? <laughs> yeah, we were watching it with friends and it was more of a, more of a like laugh at it sort of venture. Okay. Well, what a fucking weird movie this is. True. Especially with the context of 27 years now and mm-hmm. you know really i think i think most people would say that Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise are like the a plus level celebrity the top 5 male Absolutely. actors that when you think of the last 20 years these are these are two that come into your head Absolutely. so and i don't i don't say this with 
any homophobic underpinnings here, but just to see them like sort of sensually dripping blood into each other's mouths is bizarre. <laughs> like, yeah. it's like last night I couldn't help but be like, what is this? like, how did this get made? This is funny to hear you say this because I feel like interview with a vampire and from your description of legends of the fall it, both those movies, both starring Brad Pitt, obviously are like almost literally like Harlequin novel romance covers made into a movie. Like that's yes. And I mean, it is based on like the Anne Rice book, which I think when I worked at borders, we're all in the fiction section, not like the romance or horror section. So it, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's considered literature, but yeah, it all looks like Fabio. Fabio could be a vampire in that movie and no one would bat an eye. Like he fits the aesthetic completely. What, because it, it is so sexual. Like, mm -hmm. was this super steamy when it came out? Do you think? I think for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Be and this is funny because this is like, I mean, vampires are like, there is a, a like sexual, like not so hidden allegory to like vampires where it's like biting is sex and you're giving your life over. And it's like, it's, it's like the sexual underpinnings of it are right there. I mean, and that's echoed again in like twilight and I, Dracula certainly has it. Like, it's just a sexual concept that's like, I'm going to bite your neck and suck the blood out of you is like a very intimate, very powerful sadistic thing. Like it, it, it's right there. And I think they lean into it with it, with interview. There, it's not like a shit movie, you know, mm -hmm. like there's, mm -hmm. there's some cinema to it. The production mm -hmm. design is like pretty moody and, and, and pretty cool. And, and like, yeah, I mean, I guess that's the best thing I have to say about it, but it, yeah, I, I don't qualify it as like a, a terrible movie. It just is a weird movie to watch through these 2021 20, eyes. Like people know this movie, but I feel like it's kind of a punchline almost at this point where it's like an interview with a vampire. Also, can I just the just the the tagline for this movie is drink for me and live forever. Hot. What you're talking about. All right. Um, before we go into the our top five, which I assume yep. that's our next step here. It is. You're driving this episode, so I don't mean to step on your toes, but I do no. want to say, and I we I don't even know if we'll keep this in, but have you ever seen Hudsucker Proxy? I haven't, no. I've Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. This is just like, it's a movie that it's not, it's not ubiquitous and ubiquitous enough or good enough to be in my top five. Um, it's not really a blind spot. It's good. It's a bit of a slog. It's like, it just, yeah, it's worth noting because it's the Coen brothers. And it's like really when you start to see them sharpening their cinematic skills mm -hmm. and it's not that good but you can see how they start to get really hot after this. I think Barton Fink is after this, but then obviously Fargo and Lebowski are on the heels of this. And, and I think they, yeah, kind of worked out some of that, you know, their screwball tone. You know, we can, I guess this is probably the time when we start to explain our criteria a little yep. bit and yep. uh, I was criticized that we spent too much time talking about criteria so I'll try to keep it more brief but I think you bring up a good point that now nostalgia is going to start to have a bigger and bigger impact I think for us yeah as we whittle down our top five 
when mm-hmm. we get into this um, in this time period where we're kids and like you say, sponges. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like it's necessary to just say because I got I got flack from our 2006 episode of because I had some unlikely unlikely candidates for my unlikely picks for my top five. I'm maintaining the same metrics. Um, I think it's less controversial this year for this year, just because this year is an insane year. But, uh, so a a couple of thoughts on this, I do want to just touch on the criteria, but I I thought you said something earlier, you referred to something as the Mount Rushmore of, of a given category or given. Yeah. You know, maybe that is a more streamlined way of what we're trying to say here. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we, maybe it's worth considering turning this into, instead of like uh, the five best picture nominees into like the Mount Rushmore of a year in film. Yeah. And a Mount Rushmore plus, plus one, we can call it. Okay. We can call it Mount Rushmore plus one. My criteria is, is it good? Does it still look good? Does Mm -hmm. it date itself either in a cool way or in a, a, a way pertinent to the, the year we're speaking about special effects are they holding up is it widely seen i think that's a really important one for you too has it somehow achieved a cult status or has it grown in popularity since it came out does it remain in the conversation and is there a rewatchability to it these are the questions i ask myself especially a year like this where there's a shit ton of great movies into my my top five yeah i i, I yes i agree with most of those metrics I, the, is it good gets tricky. I understand it, but I also think that it, 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 it's a little too subjective for me to, to, to use much at all. Because I also think, because it it goes to like the, the, the endurance of a movie or a movie being in the conversation has nothing to do with whether or not we think it's good. And I think that's one of the most fascinating aspects about what we're trying to do here is because it's like a movie can suck by our standards, but like if it, if it endures, that's way that's so fascinating to do that. So I, I, so is it good to me is, is moot. It's, is it in the conversation? It, did it endure? It, it, and, and, and to what, basically to what's, what severity did it endure is basically what differentiates five from one. Sure. That's, but I would also guess you're not going to put a, a, a bona fide bad movie in here. No, I mean this year I would say no, but, but with 2006, which I stand by, Cars isn't what I would consider a great movie, but it is like a Mount Rushmore from 2006, as is Devil Wears Prada. Okay, so maybe my metric should be, is it not bad? Okay, okay. How do you feel about that? I do. I, yes, I do. Because I can get behind that a little more, because we and we are splitting hairs, because it's not like a terrible, absolutely horrible movie is going to endure. And if it does, so all right, let's get, let's into, get it. into it. Max, for set, number set five, what do you have? Uh, my number five is Hoop Dreams, directed Ooh, by Steve James. Very nice. Um, have you seen this? I have, yeah. Okay, yeah. It, if, if a listener has not seen this, this is a documentary. It's pretty epic in its scope. Mm-hmm. It follows two kids from a young age who are they're living in urban Chicago and they're aspiring to become professional basketball players. It's a lot of, about a lot more than basketball, as you can imagine. And the reason I I, well, I should also point out that our um, our dear friend and colleague Nick Grady's mother was a producer on this film. Yes. This, in 94, there was still no best documentary category at the Oscars. And I would say that now, 
in 2021, documentaries have become like, especially with Netflix, have become like a, a, a major category of films. And I think that Hoop Dreams did a lot to show what a documentary can be and pave the way for where we sit now. Beautiful. Beautifully put. And I I don't have that on my top five, but I 100% back that and uh, endorse that. It is like a, a singular piece of, of movie making. It is so, it is very powerful. Um, also, just real quick to Hoop Dreams, the lack of best documentary category is wild for this because it did get best editing, which it is the only documentary to get a best editing nomination since 1970s Woodstock, which is interesting. Which goes to like the Academy is kind of like similar to like comedies where it's like, okay, like we're not going to recognize this in like the live action film category, but we'll give it, we'll, we'll recognize movies like with like technical nominations. So my number five is Speed. Um, again, have not seen it yet. This movie is like still in the conversation. The It's, it's iconic. Uh, again, it feels like maybe a the top three of action movies. I, I won't give you as much shit about about this one for some reason. Yeah. I can't really put my finger on it, but okay, fair enough. Speed. It's iconic. Speed is iconic. It's iconic. So that's what I got. Uh, again, a great deep dive candidate. We'll see. But that's what I got. What do you got for number four, Max? Okay, so I almost did a move that would have been really upsetting to you. I almost hmm. put Natural Born Killers in here and, and replaced Forrest Gump with it. Wow. But when I revisited the criteria um, and really thought about it, Forrest Gump is my number four film. I assume you'll have more to say about this later. I will. Okay. What's your number four? Uh, I have Dumb and Dumber at number four. And so Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber is number four because it feels like it is, I mean, big gulps. All right. Well, see you later. And it feels infinitely quotable. It's still in the conversation. It is, it is a comedy classic and I've been saying top three of genres a couple times this episode but I do firmly think that Dumb and Dumber is a top three comedy of all time we're almost 30 years after it and it's still it's I mean it's just it's it's iconic and like it's it's like a language in and of itself I think um yeah it's 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 for sure number it's sure in the top five number four was sort of like yeah this sounds good um, just cause my top three are a little more solidified, but Dumb and Dumber to me is, is a huge it, classic from this, from this year. It's a classic. It's a yeah. classic. It's not in my top five, but I, I have no, uh, no beef with that pick. What do you got for number three, Max? My number three is Lion King. Cool. I have more you to say talk about, about this, this later. Yeah. Okay. What's your number three? I have Pulp Fiction. I assume you have more to say okay. about this later okay let's keep moving down the list yeah cool well okay what do you have for number two i guess our number twos should be uh, aligned i think or uh, no i think not i don't think they so are. you don't you have omitted shawshank i have interesting okay yep. do you well i'll say shawshank is my number two the shawshank redemption i don't know anybody that doesn't like this movie it yeah. is like a very feel-good easy to understand and and easy to 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 like film. This film is famous to me for one specific reason. Do you know what I'm going to say? No. It's the highest ranked rated film on IMDb of all time. Sure. Yeah. And that's pretty crazy to think about because IMDb is not like some newfangled like it, I mean it is the internet movie database. I don't give it a a, a ton of credence in these conversations, but I think that's pretty fascinating 
And it goes to what I said before that it's like, it's hard to dislike this movie. I can't imagine being like, oh yeah, I'll give it like a five out of 10. It's just a feel good movie. I, I'm more curious why you left it off. Was it close to being on your top five? It was, it was, really? it was, it was like, it was number six. I mean, it was right there. I just, I guess to me, it is known as that like top IMDB movie, IMDB movie of all time. It's on Letterboxd, like at Letterboxd, it's the same. It's not as, it's just like, it's a ubiquitous movie. It is very much in the conversation. It's just that like, I don't, I don't hear it talked about all that much. I don't hear it referenced all that much. Like it's a beloved movie, certainly, but like, I guess I'm, I'm realizing quotability is a huge, a huge metric for me. There's no question that it's a classic. I just, it didn't, to me, it's been a while since like I've heard about it. It's almost like it's so beloved that like no one talks about it anymore. It kind of feels <laughs> okay, but I feel like it is so well. Like I feel like my hypothetical friend's mom loves this movie. Yes. My grandpa loved this movie. Like it is very yeah, yeah. beloved. You know, I, I'm being repetitive here, but there's something there's something there behind this. For sure. No, I, I mean, I, I'm like very much a dark horse here or a, a black sheep, like not including it here. I agree with everything you're saying. I get, it's just like, I just don't hear it in the conversation all that much. Like, it, and, and maybe it's because it's just right on, maybe it's because it's just like right out in the open, but I don't know. It, it did. It didn't like make my top five. Yeah. Well, what's your number two then? I have Lion King at number two. Okay. Yeah. You were starting to say a nostalgic pick expand on that. Yeah, it's a high nostalgia factor. It as a seven year old kid seeing this movie, it it's really loaded for a kid's movie. And mm -hmm. there's nothing like I don't watch it today and like like it's not saying anything groundbreaking to me, but it, it has a lot of comments about the natural world, overconsumption, family, class, uh, authority. Yeah. And it's sort of like an introduction to a lot of these ideas and um as a seven-year-old kid i really it really made me um i really reflected on a lot and surely it's a, a movie i'll show to my kid yeah no 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 question i rewatched it they did like a 3d re-release like in the past decade which i like saw on a whim it's a powerful movie man i mean like i know like mufasa's death is like iconic in and of itself but the the movie is powerful and like the opening like circle of life sequence is stunning and i don't know when's the last time you listened to that song but just listening to the song like really packs a punch like everything you just described i think is like circle of life the song and the sequence is a microcosm of that and it's like such a strong opening for a movie it's such an unbelievable song uh and the movie itself like that when they had the trailer for the live action remake they like had they underscored it with the uh, the song when like simba comes back to the pride land and it like is restored and it's like this like goosebump inducing song it's true yeah this movie is a classic and i think like the score of it uh also a quick shout out this movie had three of the of the five nominees for best original song lion king had three of them and and let me just ask you this. So the three songs that were nominated for Best Original Song at the Academy Awards from Lion King were Akuna Matata, Can You Feel the Love Tonight, and Circle of Life. Which one do you think won? I feel like 
I remember Elton John's performance of Can You Feel the Love Tonight most clearly, so I'm going to say that one. I mean, you're right, but to me, that blows my mind. That like that feels <laughs> yeah, like, the, feel like the lamest, far, yes, the lamest of the three. Dated, yes. <laughs> but now that you say that, that was the song that got the most radio play because it was like radio friendly and like that love song. Um, wild. Uh, but yes, the the score of this movie, the songs of this movie is is such a huge component of its being a classic. And uh, yeah, just like the I would say, one, if not the best, one of the best all time traditionally 2d animated disney movies max what do you have for for number one okay so i guess you can you know through process of elimination mm-hmm. um guess that my number one is pulp fiction sure why it's uh you know i wasn't really sure where to place this and i did a, a rewatch recently and this is a film i saw late you know i i want to say i saw this film like not until i was like 25 or something like that hmm. and yeah I feel like it gets diluted through, you know, the not the movies that are sort of knockoffs of this type of storytelling, the dorm room posters, <laughs> the Halloween costumes, yeah. like these sorts of things like dilute it. But when you when I rewatch it, it's like you pull the curtain back of all of that popular culture that surrounds it. And underneath is so, I mean, that popular culture surrounds it, which is a criteria in itself. Yeah. But then you pull it back and there's still like a bona fide, excellent movie underneath. It's like, it's just like such a magnetic film. Like it, you, you sit down and start watching it and it's just, it's really just dialogue scenes. It's like dialogue scene after dialogue scene after dialogue scene, but it's so compelling and the yeah. performances are so good. And, mm-hmm. uh, I can't, I can't take my eyes off of it. I was shocked at, at a rewatch, just like how engaging it is. It's fucking great. Yeah, it, it really is. And magnetic is such a like great word to, to say, to, to use for it. Cause it is, it's just like, it, it feels like there are like five or six layers of greatness to it where it's like this movie would be good or great. Even with just the characters alone are great. The dialogue alone is great. The specific jokes are great. The characters are great. The, it, it's just, it's like kind of, yeah, I, I saw this like in high school, kind of at the age I feel like a lot of people from our generation kind of saw it because it is that like, kind of to your point, it can get cheapened by being that like mind-blowing high school college movie that you're like, man, cinema can be anything. Like a Donnie Darko-esque, Boondock Saints-esque, where it's like, no, 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 this like this movie is timeless and, and it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but I do want to say Uma Thurman's 24 in this movie. She's excellent in it. She's like, she's beautiful, but she's not beautiful. She's just like, you can't stop like looking at her. You know, she's so interesting. And what would it be like to be, to turn in that performance at age 24? I had no idea she was that young. I assumed. You can like fall back on that the rest of your life. You know, you've like, you've done something uh, excellent, you know, before you, you're halfway through your 20s. Truly. I mean, I, I do wonder, yeah, that's a really interesting, because 24 is an interesting age for, like, Hollywood actor, because it's, like, I imagine, I mean, I don't know what her background is, but I imagine she had been at it for a little while, like, probably started when she was, like, 19, 20, maybe would be my guess, so it's, like, by 24, it's, like, it's not like she's, like, blindly, I mean, I'm completely hypothesizing now, but it's, like, I imagine yep. she has some appreciation for, like, the struggle, like, I, maybe she struggled a little bit, but it's, like, I mean, damn, it's, like, yeah, I mean, that's that's an all-time, that's like a once-in-a-lifetime confluence of things. 
and in my head she is like the the lead of the film but she's in it for like 20 minutes well and like it's interesting because she is not she was nominated in the best supporting actress category which did feel disingenuous like it's like yes technically time frame wise it's it's supporting but it's like I, I, there's no doubt she's a lead actor because she's like the, she's like, yeah, she's like the pillar of the film. She like is the axis that everything else rotates around in that movie. Yeah. She, it's truly, that's a great point. It, 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 it she's like, she is that movie. I mean, she's the poster. She's the poster. Of she's it, the man. poster. I yeah. do remember seeing like little big league and walking by that poster yes. and like kind of having my head turn yes. as a seven year old being like, Dude. what is that? <laughs> I remember the cover of it in the video update video store and being like, wow, what's that? Huh? <laughs> For sure. Um, All right. Great. What, uh, so tell me your number one. My number one is Forrest Gump, as I'm sure you surmised. I'm going to like, just like life is like a box of chocolates, stupid as a stupid does kind of like to your point of, of how ubiquitous Shawshank is. I feel like if there's a rival to that, it is Forrest Gump in terms of everyone, at least at the time, loving it. And it also being, and I totally get the criticism of it. Like, yes, it's a, it can be cheesy or like easy or whatever. I think it undoubtedly, undoubtedly has that X factor quality that makes it like an all time. It's a wonderful life level classic of like, if we were going to send a golden record uh, of films out into space, Forrest Gump is a leading candidate for like introducing aliens to what cinema is like, how it makes you feel what it can do, the stories it can tell. Uh, it's just, it, it, it's a huge movie. It's like a, about life and the culture and the last half of the 20th century. Uh, the smartest person in the room can love it. The dumbest person in the room can love it. Tom Hanks, this is, yeah, what brought him into the stratosphere that he has existed in since this movie. And it's like, yes, again, it's like one of the most quoted movies, I think, of the last 30 years. It's iconic and then some. I I re I was struggling where to place this. I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. and I agree that if we're thinking about a Mount Rushmore of nineteen ninety four movies, you cannot leave Forrest Gump off of it off of the side of the mountain. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It just it didn't age that great for me. It's like a very like the idiot savant thing. Tom Hanks is a good actor, and I think that this was maybe a fresh enough role at the time that it was regarded as excellent, but it's, I don't think it's Tom Hanks best role in a film. Interesting. I think has like a pretty narrow, like sort of like silly version of American history that it's like trying to retell. And it's, it's super Hollywood, which is not a criticism. I like movies that are super Hollywood, but it's almost like a bit too thick for me. So I don't, Mm disagree that um this is on our mount rushmore of 94 but i have a hard time being like yeah this is a great film that's yeah that's fair i mean i had heard that generally speaking the 94 like oscars or just talk about the 94 year in general through the lens of the oscars can be divided into categories of like you either think pulp fiction won or you think forrest gump should have won and it's like these it's like forrest gump falls into the category of like it's doing something that's already been done, but it's doing it at the highest level 
Whereas Pulp Fiction is doing something no one has really seen before and it's doing it at a really high level. There's a case to be made for both of these movies. I think they coexist. Uh, but I totally understand the feeling of, you know, Forrest Gump is Hollywood in, 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 in certainly in the context of the Best Picture nominees. Um, so I, I, I totally hear that. I, I, the thing to reiterate, I do think like the X factor quality of Forrest Gump is not to be understated where it's like there's all these things on paper of like, you know, director, writer, actor, highest grossing, best picture winner, all this stuff. But it's like, at the end of the day, it's like, I don't, it has that quality that like cannot be duplicated. It can only be kind of stumbled upon and whatever it is, this movie has it where it's like movie magic. Like there's a magic in this movie uh, for me that, that um, is just, it's either there or it's not. And this movie has it talking about this. I do want to say it is wild. So first of all, round of applause I like uh, I like those those Mount Rushmores. I do want to talk just briefly about just looking at like what a huge we've had a running theory on the podcast. I don't know if we've actually stated it on the podcast, but we, it's interesting when the best picture winner is also a highest grossing film from that year. And if we're talking domestic box office, ninety four has that with Forrest Gump, a uh, a movie that is is hugely popular and also critically acclaimed. I think my argument was that if that, if that, the only other time that that's happened, or not the only other time, and a standout example of that happening is Titanic. And I kind of armchair said, if that, if those two things line up, that means it's a great movie. Max, do you agree with that with Forrest Gump? I think that that hones in on what we're, the, the, the question we're trying to answer with this podcast. Yeah. I would say that. The best picture winner combined with the best box office is impossible to leave off of our Mount Rushmore of a given year. Yeah. But that does not crown the best picture for me. Yeah. I can get behind that. That's it. Yes. It makes it a Mount Rushmore for sure. That's a great call. Real quick about the best picture. It is wild. It's just like blatantly like prejudice against animation that Lion King is not a best picture goddamn nominee this year. It's insane. Like, like agreed. That's insane. This is a this isn't a great year for for movie watchers, and we've now laid down over an hour talking about 1994, and there's a ton of shit that we either barely scraped the surface on, or we didn't even bother to mention. So, Nick, I know you have a running list of great films from this year. Why don't you Why don't you just do a quick um, quick machine gun round? Yeah. So uh, here we go for. All right, yeah, so real quick. Uh, it's yep. Forrest Gump, Pulp Fiction, Shawshank Redemption, Lion King, Speed, Hoop Dreams, Dumb and Dumber, The Mask, Ace Ventura, Chunking Express, Leon the Professional, Clerks, Ed Wood, Hudsucker Proxy, Heavenly Creatures, True Lies, Natural Born Killers, D2, The Mighty Ducks, Blank Check, Little Big League, Angels in the Outfield, Baby's Day Out, The Little Rascals, Camp Nowhere, Little Giants, The Santa Claus. Now, I realize we get a little nostalgic with kids' movies at the end there, but these are all, by and large... It's just a, such a dense year, such a stacked year. It's pretty incredible. I mean, yeah, and we could go on for another hour of just like the seeds that were seen planted in this year that come to fruition in years later. Heavenly Creatures with Peter Jackson, uh, kind of to your point earlier with the Coen Brothers and Hudsucky, Hudsucker Proxy, they're about to blow up. Uh, Kevin Smith with Clerks. Uh, it, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a fascinating year, just a dense, stacked year. Pretty incredible. All right, I think uh, I think that pretty much does it. We 
does. I, not a lot of not a lot of arguing. We didn't have um, mirrored images of our best pictures this year, but mm-hmm. kind of can't can't argue with a lot of this. A lot of these movies we're talking about. No, it's good. I'm going to start uh, chiseling away at uh, at a mountain to get these uh, to get these selections in place. I, that doesn't that's belabored. I don't know. That doesn't really work. I love it, dude. I love Thanks. it. Thanks. Thanks, dog. Stick with the metaphors. I want to, so are we doing speed for our first deep dive? We are. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, so that that's 94. And as we, as we do with this podcast, the format will be our next four episodes will be a specific film from this year. Not necessarily the ones we find best, but the ones we um, think it's worth to revisit. And my dream, as I've said, for the deep dive is that we can serve as a companion to to a film watcher um, that might otherwise not have people that have seen a movie recently to talk with or, or someone to talk to about these worthy films. So we're going to try to do a better job of announcing what our deep dive will be for next week. So if you're hearing this episode, next week we'll be talking about speed. And if you want to brush up on it, you got seven days until we release the speed episode to catch up on it and, and, and join us for a conversation. And if you have preemptive thoughts before the episode, shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, you can contact us at the Oscar went to at gmail.com with your thoughts. Uh, and, and, and like Max said, likely candidates for uh, potential candidates for, for films for us from 1994 to deep dive on uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the Oscar went to pod and follow us on wherever you listen to your podcast. Give us a review. We really appreciate it. We sincerely appreciate you listening, your feedback, and just your time. Very excited to, uh, to watch Speed and uh, deconstruct it, Max. It's been, as always, fun. I feel like we could talk for like another hour and a half at least. It's good to get back on the horse with you. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's talk some Speed next. All right. See you on the bus that can't stop. Peace. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.